We absolutely spend an enormous amount of time and energy to understand what technology is emerging, how we participate in that technology to commercialize it in a scalable way that helps us importantly, from a stakeholder perspective, do the right thing, but yet that continues to improve our competitive position. We're talking today with Scott Price, Chief Strategy and Transformation Officer at UPS, about the company's efforts to tackle climate change risks through innovative new processes and offerings to its customers. But first, Scott shared with us some important background on how megatrends, such as the drive for convenience, e-commerce, and urbanization, make it challenging for a logistics business such as UPS to meet its goal of reducing by 12% its absolute greenhouse gas emissions from global ground operations by the year 2025. Scott, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Recently, we've seen companies and financial institutions embrace the reality of climate change and work toward mitigating the risks associated with it. What are the climate change-related risks that you see for UPS, uh, one of the world's most important logistics and transportation companies? We move uh, about 6% of the U.S.'s GDP and about 3% of the world's GDP. So before I start at the company level, I go down to the megatrends that are driving many of the changes in logistics that result in potential climate um, headwinds that we, we want to deal with. So the first is just the striving for convenience. Um, the, the world's ability to now provide very convenient solutions and the personalization of those means that if you think from a world of logistics, you used to move things by container load, by ocean. Then it went to pallets, basically, by air. It's now in the world of eaches, and single items move because of that drive of, of convenience. Um, the second area is just that people are looking after a high level of, of, of e-digital interface, so e-commerce. And so just the explosion of e-commerce means that, again, you're just facilitating that eaches and that level of, of of convenience. And then the third is just urbanization. 68% um, of the population of the world will live in large-scale urban cities by, by 2050. That's an extra two and a half billion people. There's a density value to that relative to perceived ability to be more efficient. But if you think about today's movement of humans and movement of goods, the congestion, the, the carbon, the pollution that will come from that is a huge headwind moving forward. Those three megatrends create challenges to be able to um, altruistically, uh, say by 2050, get to a zero carbon world. It's a great aspiration, but we now need to, beyond companies, start to understand what is the consumer. Uh, accountability and responsibility, and how do we help by finding solutions that'll deliver that customized, convenient solution using e-commerce to individuals living in cities? Uh, we're not going to stop that trend. What do we do to offset and mute the impact it has? Scott then spoke about a number of ways UPS is attempting to reduce the carbon footprint of all that movement of goods, including the use of drones. We are working on a number of initiatives. So the first is to give consumers choice. So if our customers are uh, will agree to um, pick up their products at a nearby location, so it, rather than delivering it to their home, 
Um, we have a partnership with a number of companies, CVS, Michaels, Advanced Auto. What that means is rather than us dropping on average, say, 1.2 boxes at someone's home, um, if we get this alignment to the value of it, and it's actually quite convenient, not only not everyone's home, not everyone is trusting of their neighbors and not wanting their box sitting out there uh, on their porch, in many cases in urban cities, their doorstep, um, that creates a much more efficient mode. So that behavioral shift is, is a value to us. Um, the second are delivery opportunities uh, to create, for example, a higher level of efficiencies uh, for our drivers. So um, in many cases in rural areas, a driveway will be two miles long. The, the footprint of driving up that two miles and back can be muted by having the driver just release a drone, for example, to do the actual final drop. And so you think about the miles driven that can be reduced by leveraging that technology. And uh, UPS is, is the first um, uh, FAA-approved drone airline, and we're early days in this process, but we see enormous uh, opportunity. And then the third is just other urban solutions. So how do we address, rather than the traditional, we call a package car, it would be the brown truck in the eyes of most people who might be listening to this, um, how do we create a base and then potentially, like we do in Europe, um, have the ability, for example, e-bikes, uh, that we have um, a kind of a pod with uh, delivery uh, pulling off of the pod as a more efficient mechanism. But cities have to help. Um, regulators have to support that kind of a, mood, a move because it's not easy if you think of downtown Manhattan, to be able to create that mode without cooperation from the city. We are sampling autonomous vehicles that are very efficient now in Arizona, where feeder trucks um, uh, can uh, drive highways autonomously. We have a safety driver in there that doesn't touch the wheel. At some point, the safety driver will be approved to be, be removed. We see the same thing moving to drones, uh, to be able to move uh, goods from main airports to, say, smaller secondary airports, say, you know, 500 pounds to a ton, um, working with partners on autonomous uh, feeders there. Robotics uh, and the leverage of robotics. Uh, my, my partner in crime, Yon, uh, Juan Perez, who is our, our chief engineering and, and technology officer, um, and he, he is uh, established through now autonomous tugs. So vehicles uh, that move autonomously within our facilities to move packages around that um, are needed to be resorted or don't fit necessarily in the conveyor system. All of that world is developing. It all has a better carbon footprint, um, but importantly, it helps us be more efficient or reduce our cost to operate, which is the economic value. If you think about stakeholder management, we have to keep our shareholders in mind. We have to keep our customers in mind, and we have to stay competitive. We have invested a billion dollars in the last 10 years in the area of a more sustainable future through various mechanisms, whether it be now over 10,000 of our vehicles um, are alternate fuel, and that efficiency then uh, reduces uh, our carbon footprint. But we absolutely spend an enormous amount of time and energy to understand what technology is emerging, how we participate in that technology to commercialize it in a scalable way that helps us, importantly, from a stakeholder perspective, do the right thing, but yet that continues to improve our competitive position. Scott spoke about the importance for the company to avoid misleading stakeholders as it develops more efficient transportation systems. There is 
a lot of greenwashing out there. And so we're very aware that, you know, commitments that we make are commitments that we will live up to. Uh, and we know that we have to invest and stay atop of what all is happening to ensure that we can deliver on those commitments. Given Scott's strategy role at UPS, we also talked about the keys to strategic execution of climate-related initiatives, or any internal efforts, since UPS was featured in a book on the subject co-authored by Darden professor Scott Snell and Ken Kerrig. Scott from UPS shared how important it was to align the various UPS departments that had to be involved in the company's sustainability objectives for them to be successful in achieving the goal to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 12% by the year 2025. Scott wrote a, a great book, The Strategic Execution, and, and you know that alignment is such a critical part um, we made a commitment that uh, we would uh, reduce by 12% globally um, our carbon and greenhouse by 2025. Um, and we made this in 2016. So it was a nine-year commitment and we will achieve it. Um, but there were multiple initiatives that led to the confidence to achieve that level. Um, and so um, a number of them, um, and, and I'll just talk about um, about three of them. So um, one of them that we uh, we talked about was uh, total electricity coming from new renewable resources by 2025. So 25% of the total electricity used in the network that we run today um, will be renewable by, by 2025. By 2025, 40% of all ground fuel will come from sources other than conventional gasoline and diesel. Uh, and then finally, we've got a, a rolling laboratory. Uh, and by next year, 25% um, of our annual vehicle purchases will be alternative fuel uh, and advanced technology. That's on top of the 10,000 that we have in our network today. You cannot achieve that comprehensive portfolio of initiatives without the entire corporation being involved. And that alignment across the corporation is critical. And it's critical not in the sense of, you know, people philosophically believing in it, but that they are empowered to convert that belief into action and that the governance and the approval models and the funding models and the, the procurement models, everything is designed to appropriately support it. Um, and that is a massive uh, uh, undertaking. We have 481,000 employees around the world. Um, alignment's really critical because of the language, uh, the geography, the time zone, keeping everyone apprised of how we are trying to achieve a very substantial target like what we set in 2016. I asked Scott whether strategic initiatives to tackle climate change require different approaches than that of other initiatives, especially if bringing together two P&L responsibility areas that had never been combined. He shared that sustainability goals are similar to other critical initiatives and must be built into how executives are measured. He also said that demonstrating progress on climate helps enable recruitment of the best talent. We get executive level awareness of the statistics and of, of the progress and, and we have accountability. And so, you know, scorecards, green is good, red is bad, amber, eh, somewhere in between. And we hold that accountability between those two in a way that gives that sense of uh, evergreen imperative that is slightly different than say the annual budgeting cycle. Mission and value orientation is very important to, to young people. Um, I think that uh, the economic imperative is less critical than the sense that I'm going to do well with my life. Uh, and corporations 
uh, if they're to be successful, must not only appeal to it, but they must deliver on it, uh, which means that you must be a value and a mission-driven or, or organization um, to appeal to the, to the best and the brightest out there. Um, so as we think about how we bring on new people, we talk about how we as a company are a change for good. We are reacting to many of these megatrends that exist in the market today. Um, the advent of convenience and e-commerce and all these things are changing the nature of logistics. So how do we participate in a way that creates value for all of our stakeholders but does it in a responsible way, a value-based way? Um, so the topic of sustainability is important to them. They want to understand what our plans are. Um, I think that corporations can do a better job. I think corporate cultures have changed over, over the last couple of decades. Um, and, and I think about when I started my career, the corporate culture is something you fit into. And more and more, the corporate cultures have to adapt to become inclusive, which means that they cannot be mono. Uh, they cannot be a single way to deal with conflict or a single way to deal with uh, how one succeeds. And, and that's challenging for corporations as large scale as ours. Scott also shared about some of the key partnerships in which the company has invested, including with TerraCycle to help achieve climate and waste-related targets by impacting the larger ecosystem in which the company exists, including consumers, suppliers, and municipalities. So um, as we uh, look to become more efficient as a company um, and counter, again, the megatrends that I mentioned earlier, um, as we move to the world of eaches, in addition to the incremental movement of goods, if you think upstream to that, the incremental packaging impact that comes from this world of convenience meets uh, the digital world. And, and um, TerraCycle is, a, is an interesting company, and they created this, this service called Loop that harkens back, ironically, to the age when the milkman used to drop um, uh, a little uh, frame of, of, of glass bottled milk. Um, so the concept behind Loop is in partnering with many fast-moving consumer good companies, FMCG companies, um, from Clorox uh, to Procter & Gamble. They've identified consumable items that are used in the home and created recyclable permanent packaging for them. Some of it is food stuff that is temperature sensitive. So Haagen-Dazs has signed on um, with uh, ice cream. And so the concept is that, you know, once a week or two weeks, um, UPS will drop off your next consumable order of this some are stainless steel, other are plastic. It, it is a consolidated drop. So instead of you having ordered online and getting 13 deliveries, we'll deliver the one tote with the 13 items in it and we'll pick up your, your empties. Um, and with those, we'll be going back where they're, they're properly sanitized and, and then reused. And so it's actually a, a very powerful model if it can be created at scale. But that back to the personal accountability. Uh, is that individuals, instead of the convenience of last usage, toss it, 
have to get into sort of that recycle mindset where they take a little bit more effort to make sure they get it to wherever in their home they're going to consolidate these things uh, and create uh, and create the returns. These are ecosystems and that we are we are an operator within an ecosystem and certainly given our size, our scale, our brand and, and our own sense of accountability as a company, we want to be an active voice. But the ecosystem has to come together. So if I think in Europe, for example, there are cities that have created pedestrian only or zero emission areas, and they, they change the ecosystem. By changing that ecosystem, it creates an opportunity for a sustainability-oriented company like UPS to create unique solutions that still gets the job done, but achieves the ability then to do that in a lower carbon uh, way. And, and to me, this is where the public-private partnerships and the role of regulators are really important as we think about how as we move forward and grapple, in particular, this huge urbanization that's coming at us with two and a half billion more people uh, moving to highly dense urban areas and all of the negative implications of that, there are steps that can be taken to offset it. Um, so we, we absolutely uh, work with cities as we talk about this. We've created that hub and e-bike or uh, um, human bike uh, delivery mechanism and Hamburg, Germany is a, is a place where uh, we have uh, in particular uh, matured out the model. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a creative model. Um, our drivers love it uh, because uh, they feel like they're part of the solution. It's difficult for a single company to try and move to that mode without the support of the regulator, without the support of the, of the, of the public. Um, so for us, we think it's a great way for, for, um, for the U.S. to consider. Um, there's a couple of cities uh, that we're, we're talking to about trialing the same thing. Uh, and I think it's, it's a great way to kind of counter some of these headwinds moving forward. Finally, we discussed Darden's upcoming event, Climate Cap, the Global MBA Summit on Climate, Capital, and Business, at which Scott will give a keynote address and why it's important for MBAs to understand the financial risk, investment opportunities, and leadership challenges related to climate change. I think um, today's MBA who's entering the workforce will face um, a level of disruptive transformation sustainability stressed environments at a multiple of say those who graduated 30 years ago like me. Um, and there's a couple of things that, that comes out of it. So the first is that um, you have to accept your knowledge today and the skills that you have today have a use by date on them and you need to stay relevant. Um, and as I think about some of the solutions that will have a meaningful impact around our ability to reduce climate challenge, it will be technology driven. And therefore, you have to stay current with the technologies that are emerging because as MBA students mature into their careers, they will be economic decision makers. They will have to understand the technology. And there are many stakeholders, shareholders included. You have to make wise use of your resources, but yet achieve objectives like making sure that you're doing things in a sustainable way, that you are a, an active and pro and, and a positive um, participant in this world. And um, so my advice is understand that it is 
an important topic that you should have a bias towards being part of the solution, but don't forget you have to do it through all of your stakeholders. And to me, the platform that will significantly change some of the the scope of uh, and the, the, the arc of the challenges we face today are going to be new technologies that will need to be funded and implemented uh, over the coming years and decades. Scott, thank you very much for joining us Thanks, today. Thanks, I was glad to be here. I'm Erica Herz with the Batten Institute for Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the UVA Darden School of Business. Our producer is Gary Peters. To learn more about Darden's business innovation and climate change research, visit darden.virginia.edu slash innovation climate.